Father, you are the way maker, miracle worker, awesome God. So we seek you, and we ask that you would change our hearts. We want to be on fire, radical, mature believers in Jesus Christ. We don't want to waste another minute of our lives. And so please come, stir us up from deep within, and do your work. Make us more like Jesus so that we use our lives, spend them for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn to... Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, page 571 in the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. Going through the Gospel of Mark, verse by verse, and we are at this section I'm entitling, Don't Waste Your Life. I was, uh, I have uh, Sirius XM on my car, and uh, the last week they had this, this special channel on there the 1,000 top uh, classic rock songs of all time, okay? And, uh, and that's, that's my day, you know, that's, okay, back in the day. Well, one of the songs came out. It wasn't number one, which was kind of interesting. Stairway to Heaven was number one, which was, you know, I suppose that's what everybody's going to pick. But anyway, it was like in the top 20, The Hotel California. You've heard that song? Okay. Now, interestingly enough, if you listen to the words of that song and what they're actually saying, it's actually a powerful song, okay, because he's speaking against drugs. Uh, When he says, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave, he's speaking of that trap that drugs have on you. He says, we are all just prisoners here of our own device. We got ourselves in it, but now we're stuck. And it is a slavery to drugs. The Hotel California is THC. It's the tetrahydrocannabinol. That's the drug within marijuana that gets you high. So that, that's, the song is speaking against drugs, which is a good thing. If you are a slave to addiction, I want to tell you that you can leave through Jesus. Okay? That, that, that that's not true because of the power of our wonderful Lord and the blood of Jesus. The truth is, let's take a step back here, everyone is stuck in a meaningless life until they turn to follow Jesus. And Jesus, he changes everything. You see, we all, every single person on the planet has an internal purpose and a temporary mission. Everybody, okay? An eternal purpose purpose. The reason why God created us was to glorify and joy and love him forever together, okay? Now, I want to break that down just very briefly, okay? To glorify God. It's not about us. It's about him. When we get our focus off of us and onto him, we're so much better off because that's our purpose, to glorify and enjoy. I like that part that the Puritans added, to enjoy God, because God wants us to delight in him and to love him. That's the greatest commandment of all, right? So, of course, that's a part of our purpose, to glorify, enjoy, and love God forever together. Not just me and Jesus, it's us, we. He's calling a people to to do this. Now, we do that here, right? 
and we get to do it in heaven. So forever and ever and ever, we will glorify, enjoy, and love God together. That's why it's our eternal purpose. But he also has a reason for us right now, right here. That's our temporary mission. And it's the same mission as Jesus' mission, to seek and to save the lost. He's calling us now. He has a part for us to play. Each of us plays a different part in all of this, but to make radical, mature disciples who will advance the kingdom of God together. Uh, We want to help people follow Jesus and share him with others. That's kind of different ways that you can put this, okay? So we have this temporary mission. And it's, all of this is from the Bible, okay? This is God's reason, his purpose for calling us. We don't create our own purpose. That's called rebellion. He made us for a reason. We will not be happy, truly deeply happy, not satisfied, not fulfilled until we begin to live out his purpose for us. We don't follow the world's view on purpose and value either. Our purpose comes from our creator. Our passage talks about living out our purpose so that we don't waste our lives. Look at it. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. He also said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. So here we see two things. We're to shine the light and grow in the light so that we don't waste our life. Okay? Let's walk through this. First of all, shine the light. He starts out with this little parable. Do you take a a lamp and stick it under a basket or the bed? Of course not, right? Okay, that's what he said. No, you put it on the lamp stand, right? This is... This is shocking. <laughs> it was really funny. This was just last week. The power went out in our house. And it's night, it's late, and I'm stumbling through the dark to try to get to the closet where our, our uh, candles are. And, uh, and I go to reach for the candles, and all of a sudden, the candle talks. It says, oh, no, don't take me out. I'm dumbfounded. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I, I started to reach for it again. It says, please, no, that's not my gifting. I was like, oh, well, okay. And I just started walking away. And then I heard these song, them singing a song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That didn't really happen. Okay, just, no, okay. But you got the point, right? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, now, when it says here, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? What's fascinating about this, literally it says, does the lamp come? Okay, that's important because in the, greater context, it's clearly referring to Jesus as the lamp. 
the lamp, Jesus, is the one who comes. We see this in John 1, 4, verse Verse 4, verse 9, 8, verse 12, chapter 9, verse 5, chapter 12, 46. All these verses show how Jesus is the light. So to shine the light is to share Jesus. You have him in you, you share him. You display Jesus in your words and in your actions, okay? If we could look at Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16, or Luke 11, verses 33 through 36. They actually give this same parable, but all three from a slightly different perspective. So that'd be a fascinating study, but we're not gonna look at it. But it brings out that we are to shine the light by sharing it with our words, but also by reflecting it by, through our actions. Because if we're saying one thing, but our lives are saying another, then people don't hear it. So we need both, but we need to be sharing this light, um, this, this idea. Clement of Alexandria, really old dead guy, okay? One of the early church fathers, he said this, a well, when pumped regularly, produces purer water. If neglected and no one uses it, it changes into a source of pollution. I'm guessing that's true, okay? I don't know anything about wells. But I do know not sharing the light and not living out a life that shares the light, we will start to putrefy inside ourselves, okay? So he's calling us, here's our purpose, shine the light of Jesus, all right? Um, Jesus is the king. Remember this from last week. He's the king who brings the kingdom, and so we have the king living in us, and we share the king with others, all right? So our temporary mission, as I said, is to, to introduce people to Jesus, um, when, the, when we look at this passage, he starts it out, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And the answer is, no, of course not, because that's really dumb, okay? And that's the whole point of this that he's trying to say. Not sharing the light is foolish. It's really dumb, okay, when we just keep it in under a bushel or whatever, okay? So it's, but it's not only foolish, it's mean. People need the Lord. There's so many people in the world who don't have the hope of Jesus Christ that we have. And if we just keep our light to ourselves, because, you know, I don't know, we're embarrassed or we don't want to, you know, whatever, you know, whatever our excuses are, that's mean to these people who need the Lord. At least give them an the opportunity to say no, right? So we're just, he's calling us here to shine our light. People need the Lord. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. If anyone will open the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. A personal, deep relationship with Jesus Christ, creator of the universe. Everybody on the planet can have that. And he's knocking at the door of their heart, but the knock comes when we share Jesus with other people. 
That's how the knock comes to their heart. We share the gospel. And so he's calling us to do that. So then you might ask, what does that mean? I'm supposed to quit my job and move to Guatemala and become a missionary? Maybe. He might be calling you to do that, okay? Probably not. But he's calling all of us to something, to somehow share this, okay? And here's where we get stuck, okay? Typically, we think, okay, that means I got to be like Billy Graham. And I'm not, so I can't, right? Well, in the Bible itself, there are six different styles of evangelism. If you want to replace the E word with sharing Jesus, that's fine, because, you know, we don't like to use the E word. (laughs) Evangelism. But sharing Jesus, okay? There are actually six styles of evangelism. The first one's typically what we think of, and that's the direct approach that we see Peter in Acts chapter 2. He calls people to repent. If you were to, this kind of person that would walk up to a stranger and say, if you're to die tonight, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? You know, that kind of a person. And by the way, that is a great question to start thinking about. Okay. But you might be saying, I'm not like that. Billy Graham's like that. Ray Comfort is like that, right? If you've ever seen his videos, Okay, but you might not be Ray Comfort. Well, guess what? You don't have to be, right? That's one style of evangelism in the Bible. But another one, the intellectual approach that Paul used, Acts chapter 17, where he dialogued and he debated and he challenged and he used logic to help people see the, re- the reasoning of Christianity and uh, and Paul did that in Athens. We have like Josh McDowell or William Lane Craig or Ravi Zechariah. Those are the kind of guys that do that, okay? That's me too. I love doing that, right? But you might be saying, well, that's not me either, right? That's okay. Testimonial approach. John chapter nine, the man born blind. Didn't know a lot, but what he did know was how to share his story. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. Do you have a story? you have a story to tell where God changed you by your trusting in Christ? You share your story, okay? That's another way of doing it, the testimonial approach. I, whenever I see this one, I think of Brian Linker. If you haven't heard his story, you should ask him about it, okay? But you share your story. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata is like that. Lee Strobel, he's, he does the intellectual approach, but he also does this one here, okay? So you got different people, testimonial. Well, you're saying, well, that's not me either, okay? Interpersonal approach. Matthew, uh, uh, I have written down here, not everyone is drawn to apologetics or sharing their Christian faith. For those who have the natural ability to relate to people and love being with others, the interpersonal approach to evangelism is a natural way to share Jesus. Matthew did this when he got saved in Luke chapter five. He got all his friends together with Jesus and the others, and he kind of just got them all together, had what they call a Matthew party, okay? And, uh, but he made friends. This is what typically what we call friendship evangelism, where you are doing this eventually to share the gospel, either you or someone else at least, to your friends, okay? So there's the interpersonal approach. There's the invitational approach. The Samaritan woman, uh, at the well, John ch- chapter four, uh, after sh- 
Jesus just basically laid out everything in her life. She goes back to her hometown. She says, come and see a guy that told me everything about myself. Could this be the Messiah? So inviting them to come to some event, perhaps, to church or to uh, an event where the gospel is going to be shared or whatever. Some people, they're like really good at that, okay? But you might say, well, that's not me either. Service approach. Tabitha made a big, huge difference in people's lives because of her service to other people. Now, you got to make sure that with this, somehow, at least at some point, they do hear the gospel. Because if they don't hear the gospel, they're not going to get saved. But do you see how all six of these different approaches, when we're all figuring out how did God make me, I'm not like that, that, or that, but I am like that and that, and then you begin to use your style so God uses you the way he made you, and all together, all of us are doing this, and people come to Jesus. And we fulfill our temporary mission while we're on this planet and therefore not waste our life. Shine the light. Um, We saw that our temporary mission is to introduce people to Jesus. And when we share Jesus, darkness is exposed. Look at verse 22. For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. When we share Jesus, and eventually everyone, everything's going to be brought to light in the end, but when we share Jesus, sometimes it brings the light to the darkness. And then people have an opportunity to either repent or get mad at you. Okay, yeah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when you share the gospel, people's lives, it's able to go right to the very heart of the person. But, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so sometimes people either, they see it and they go, wow, I need Jesus, or they get mad at you and you get persecuted. And that happens. When we share the light, we can expect opposition. That's what we see in the Bible, right? All the way through the book of Acts. Good rule of thumb. If the world is patting you on the back you're probably going in the wrong direction, okay? So now you do it in love because if it's not done in love, it's not done from a heart that truly cares about people, then, then you are wasting your life, okay? But he finishes this, are you listening? Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Notice how he connects it back to the parable we read last week. Okay, with the parable of the four soils. So all of this is to be understood together here. Are you listening? Do you have ears to hear? Okay, so we got to shine the light. That's find out how we personally do it, find our place in the big, bigger picture, but we do it. And then we grow in the light. And I think that that's what 24 through 26 is saying. He says, pay attention to what you hear. 
okay? By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. And so we're supposed to grow in light. You see, the best way to share Jesus is when we're fully charged. If you're shining the light, but your light's pretty dim, it's not going to be a dim light doesn't draw a lot of attention. So fulfilling our eternal purpose helps us fulfill our temporary mission. Remember the eternal purpose? To glorify, enjoy, and love God when we, together? So when we do that together and we're just in awe of God's presence and he comes, the Holy Spirit falls and we get charged and, and he begins to work on us from the inside out, making us more like Jesus and we're transformed and we're like about six feet off the ground, you know, right? Like next week after baptism, right? you know what that does to me, right? Okay, so like that kind of thing, okay, then you can go out, can't you? You're gonna be more effective at whatever style of evangelism that God has called you to do, whatever plan God has for you, you're part of the grand plan, okay? So we need to get charged, charged up. Um, to pay attention and to use the full measure, that's why he's using both of these things, is really, he's saying the same thing. This is a use of what's called synonymous parallelism. But he's just being, he's saying the same thing, okay? A Christ follower is to pursue God with all of his or her heart. We pursue growth in Christ by being with Christ. When we experience his presence, we grow. And then we're able to shine Jesus better, okay? God has a plan for our growth that is very simple and effective. It's quite amazing, okay? We get sidetracked when we come up with our own plan. And the church is always trying to reinvent the plan. How can you grow as a Christian? They're always trying, you got the emergent church and you got the church growth movement and you got all these other people that say, oh, no, 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 that's not it. This is how you should do it, whatever. You know, but the Bible is really clear, okay? If you walk through the Bible, it seems to me, he says, there's two meetings a week and three things that you do, okay? Let me explain. So what's God's plan for growth now, okay? First of all, he calls us to regularly gather together. Typically, most of the time, it's on Sunday morning, okay? Now, this, believe it or not, is directly from the book of Acts itself. We can, I, if you look at Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, John 20, verse 19, and verse 26, and Revelation 1, 10, you will see that the early church, from the very beginning, even in the Bible, they switched from meeting on Saturday to meeting on Sunday for Christian worship. Okay, that's what they did. You read these verses, it's hands down. Seventh-day Adventists are just simply wrong, okay? It's very, very clear. The early church itself, I, I brought my uh, apostolic fathers. These are uh, not uh, scripture. This is the writings of the early church fathers from the first, second, and second century, okay? This is, the Didache is from the first century. So this dates before the Gospel of John was written. This is how the church thought, okay? 
on the Lord's own day, gather together and break bread and give thanks, having first confessed your sins that your sacrifice may be pure. On the Lord's day, the Lord's day is the day of his resurrection, which is Sunday, okay? So all the way through, from the very beginning, the early church, without exception, they all began to worship on Sunday. And this is very important. In fact, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 tells us, don't let anybody judge you about the Sabbath, so if somebody cries, tries to come to you and says, hey, you're supposed to be worshiping on the Sabbath, they typically will say, because worship on the Sunday is the mark of the beast. Really? <laughs> it's what the early church did. It's what the book of Acts says the church did. I don't think it's the mark of the beast. It isn't. Okay, mark of the beast is 666. But anyway, okay, so don't let them judge you. Say, stop, wait, Paul told me to not let you judge me on that one, Okay. So, so no, we gather together regularly, but we gather together regularly. Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much the more as you see that we might be getting close to the end times, we're supposed to regularly be gathering together in a community that you're committed to, a local church. That is God's plan for helping us grow. Satan wants us to be the caribou that falls away from the, the, the herd and then gets attacked, okay? The individualist, okay? So, so we, we take this seriously, okay? So first, yeah, okay, we're gonna gather together. Did you get charged up today a little bit? I mean, I, that was awesome worship. Awesome. Woo! We should do it again. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna, as soon as this is over, we're going to do it again. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Okay. So, anyway, um, Sunday morning worship, but then also life groups, okay? The small groups. You can make a case, if you look at Acts 246, 512, 542, and 2020, that the early church, once again, not only did they gather in the large group on Sunday mornings, but they also gathered in small groups from house to house throughout the week. Acts 2020, 2020 vision is they gather, they met in large groups and from house to house. Notice here, the, have you ever heard of the house church movement where they only meet in houses? It's not in the Bible, okay? Not in the Bible. They met in the large group and from house to house. They met in Solomon's Colonnade, it says, because there were so many of them. They needed a really big place. They rented facilities sometimes because they needed, or they met in a really, really big house, basically like a commune kind of a thing from a, a real rich person or something like that. But they met in the large group and from house to house, okay, Sunday morning and then throughout the week. That's God's plan. It's a really good plan because it takes care of us. We need that look, fellowship of the small group and prayer time and, and studying the word, but we also need this large group time. And so this is, it's a good plan. I don't think we could improve on God's plan. Okay, anyway. Then three things. Discover and use your spiritual gifts. Find out how God has made you. Find out the ministry God has called you to minister in. And then do something, okay? And there is no such ministry as warming the pew or chair. The younger people are like, what's a pew? 
Okay, all right. Just cover your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, 3 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, all speak of the spiritual gifts and how we're supposed to find out our spiritual gifts and use them in a ministry that we really feel called to. What is our passion? What ministry really ignites us, okay? Well, we have trained three people. I just trained them last week, okay? They are ready to go, and they're gonna go into all the life groups and help everybody discover their spiritual gifts their personality, and their passion in order to find out where they would fit in best in what kind of ministry, okay? So be prepared for that, all right? All right, and uh, make friends with unbelievers. If you don't know any unbelievers, it's kind of hard to share your faith with unbelievers, right? Unless you got that first approach where you can just walk up to a stranger, cold turkey, hey, <laughs> That's uh, I like doing that, actually. It's actually a, it's a kick, man. It is fun. You should try it. But for most of you, it's, I know it's not your, it's not your, uh, your thing. All right. Okay, now you, clearly you, you, sh- you do this in order to eventually share Christ with them, and you share Christ in love, okay? But we do this. You might want to invite people. You know our real activity this week, this month, is to invite somebody who's not going to church to come to church, Okay. Uh, and then third, have a regular devotional time each day. That's not hard, okay? Every day, you set aside, I'd say at least a half an hour, 15 minutes of prayer, 15 minutes of Bible study. If you could stretch it to an hour, man, it's really, really awesome. But, you know, a lot of us are busy. So, But at least a half hour. You're reading the Bible, you're praying. Every day you set this aside. By the way, Jesus did this. This is Mark chapter 1. Jesus did this. If it, if he needed a regular quiet time. I definitely need a regular quiet time. If I think I can grow in Christ without a regular quiet time and Jesus couldn't, there's something wrong with me, my thinking at least, right? Okay, okay. so have a regular quiet time. Um, so back to our passage here, growing light. So if you don't lose it, If you don't use it, you will lose it. That's the point of the last verse. Whoever has, more will be given to him. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's not like God's taking stuff from, huh, I want to give it to somebody who has lots because I want some people to be really rich and some people to be really poor. No, that's not at all. He's not saying that at all. He's saying people, when he gives us a little bit and we use it, then he gives us more. But if we don't even use the little bit that we have, then he says, I'm going to give it to somebody else, you know, <laughs> someone else that's going to actually use it. You know, the parable of the talents, 10, 5, 1 talent. The one talent guy didn't use it, right? So if you lose it, if you don't use it, you will lose it. I, um, I used to teach Greek. I found this to be true with my students. If they didn't continue using Greek, they lost it, <laughs> okay? And I just wasted my time. Spent a whole semester on the, helping them learn Greek, and then they just wasted it, okay? Because you got to keep using it. Well, whatever, however God gives you, okay? If you don't grow and share, you will shrivel, and that's what we see here. So we want to shine the light, and we want to grow in the light so that we don't waste our life. Remember the real activity. So you still get to do it. Take the little brochure and invite somebody to church. If that is your, by the way, if you've noticed the real activities, we pattern them after one of those six styles of evangelism. So some of them are really hard to do and some of them are easier to do. Okay, if you notice that, 
because we know everybody's made different. So the ones that you feel like, yeah, I could do that, do it. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. You're awesome. And we seek you to help us. You know we're timid at times. And we're lazy. And so we ask you to help us. We don't want to waste our life anymore. We want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing so that it spills out upon other people and lives are changed. So please use each and every one of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.